Deuteronomy chapter 12, starting with verse 29. We're going to read all the way to the end of Deuteronomy chapter 13. And this is in your bulletin. If you're watching on the live stream, it's uh, going to show up on your screen. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you are not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? That I also may do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams rises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who you brought out who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son or your daughter, or the wife you embrace, or your friend who is as your own soul entices you secretly, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or far far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other. You shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death and afterwards the hand of all the people. You shall stone him to death with stones because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. Verse 12. If you hear in one of your cities which the Lord your God has given you to dwell there, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Then you shall inquire and make, and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done among you, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword, devoting it to destruction, all who are in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword. You shall gather all its spoil into the midst of its open square and burn the city and all its spoil with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. None of the devoted things shall stick to your hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you as he swore to your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping all his commandments that I am commanding you today, doing what is right in the sight of the Lord your God. This is the word of God.
So as I said, um, we're going through the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to hear, as we go through the book, repeated themes, and idolatry is one of them. Um, my favorite author, Frederick Buechner, he, uh, he says that often when we come to church, when we come um, to listen to a preacher preach, or when we read a passage of scripture, what we really hear is what we expect to hear. It's not what the person is actually saying. It's may, it may not be what the text is actually saying, but we hear what we expect to hear. And that may be the case for us this morning, that you will hear what you expect to hear. Because we've spoken about idolatry multiple, multiple times over the years at IGC. And as we look at this passage today, we might be covering some familiar ground. Um, some of it may be from a different angle, but we've talked about idolatry before. And we may hear what we expect to hear as we approach the word. But as we approach the word, I want to remind us of this, that God actually speaks to us through his word. He's communicating to us. And we, when we approach it, as we are this morning, we need to remember that God wants to say something to us. This time is not for me to give you my opinion about things. This is not a lecture do you really believe that the God of the universe, the infinite transcendent God, wants to speak to you? And this is why he brought us to this passage in Deuteronomy today. And it's because we need to hear about idolatry again. As familiar as we may think we are with the subject. Uh, last week, we sang the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and it includes this line, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. And have you wandered from God this past week? Have you left the God you love? I'm guessing you have. I have many, many times over the past week. And I need to hear again what God is saying to me in Deuteronomy. And as we listen to this, I want us to consider that maybe God is shaping us through his word, um, little by little, Sunday after Sunday, from one degree of glory to another. So this is how God shapes his people through his word. So the call for us today is to listen. And may it be so that the spirit of God will reveal to us what he wants us to know. May he reveal to us what our idols are and what we're to do with them. So... There are uh, several key points in Deuteronomy in which the Israelites are warned against idolatry. And why is there such repetition? Um, to set the context for us, in Deuteronomy, the Israelites, they're looking forward to entering the promised land. This is the land that God had promised them. And as they are looking toward that, they're surrounded by these pagan nations. And some of these nations, God has called the Israelites to um, to defeat them, to take over the land, to completely destroy them, these nations, these nations that do not honor God. And their close proximity to the inhabitants of these nations means that there is some exposure to the gods and idols of these other nations. And what we read in Deuteronomy is a warning against the idols, against falling temptation, falling into temptation to worship these idols. And it's not just the mere worship of these idols, but it's even associating with the idols. It's even associating with people that worship these idols. And uh, if, if you were paying attention to what we just read, you may have noticed that there is some harshness to the passage. 
when I was going through the passage, there's so many times I just winced. I was like, man, I kind of don't want to preach on this. This is uh, not very pleasant. It's uncomfortable and it's difficult to accept. But this is also what God wants us to hear. So my objective in the next few moments is to help us understand the seriousness of idolatry, what to do, what we're to do about it. Um, this time specifically in the context of community and how we can fight against idolatry. So we have three points in your bulletin. If you're watching on the live stream, um, it's on your screen as well. Um, the first point is the descent into idolatry. The second is the dealing with idolatry. And the third is the defeat of idolatry. The descent into idolatry, the dealing with idolatry, and the defeat of idolatry. So our first point um, we may have heard the illustration, or we might be familiar with the illustration of the frog in hot water. Um, this is pretty popular. Um, it's been around for a long time. And what it says is this, that if you throw a frog into hot water, it's going to immediately jump out. But if you put it in tepid water, it's going to stay in there. And as you slowly raise the temperature of the water, it's not going to notice the temperature difference and it's going to stay there until it's too late for it to jump out. And this is a principle that applies when it comes to idolatry. The Israelites, they, they're told by God to take the surrounding nations by force. But after they do, they're still surrounded by the inhabitants of these other nations. And these are people, inhabitants that worship gods other than Yahweh. And the Israelites are given a warning. Look at verse 30 in chapter 12. Do not ask about these other gods. Don't even ask about what they're worshiping. Verse 13, or chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Moses says that there may be prophets or dreamers who testify of their own gods. And he says, don't listen to them. Don't entertain what they have to say. And as we look at chapter 13, we see this progression, or maybe another, another, uh, a better phrase would be the regression into the worship of other gods. So, um, three steps that are part of the descent into idolatry. There is curiosity, there is tolerance and acceptance. Curiosity, the first step into uh, descent into idolatry. Um, they're curious. These Israelites, they may be interested about what or who these pagans are worshipping. And they're warned against even asking about the gods of the, pa- the pagans. But if they do that, there is another step. There is tolerance. They listen to the prophets. They listen to the dreamers. They give their attention to them. They give them their time. And then after tolerance, if they get past that step, there is an acceptance And this is what the Israelites do in other accounts in the Old Testament. That they've been exposed to these other gods, these idols. They become curious. They they start getting used to the idea of these other gods. And then they worship them. They went went after other gods multiple times in the Old Testament. And um, I like the phrase that the King James Version uses. It says that the Israelites, they went whoring after other gods. They gave themselves as whores, as prostitutes to these other gods. So this is the, the, the regression into idolatry. This is what it looks like. There's this, it begins with this seemingly innocent curiosity. When we hear the word idolatry, it's not a word that we use um, in everyday language. 
And because it's not as familiar to us, uh, this phrase that we use, you, don't, you probably don't use this word with your coworkers um, or your classmates. Um, we think of idolatry as this kind of big abstract thing that um, is really obvious. But here, idolatry doesn't come at us like a big, stinky, smelly monster that's really obvious. It comes at us as a seemingly innocent and interesting thing. And it's interesting enough for the Israelites to perhaps, maybe they want to do a little research. And even though it might seem foreign, they become more comfortable with it as time goes on. And then they see that their friends are more interested in it. And that normalizes it. And then they become more and more immersed in these idols until they accept it, until they make it their own. That's what happens, this slow descent. If it were so obvious, the Israelites would not need the warnings in today's passage. And this is the thing about idolatry, that it's so subtle. It's often respectable. It's often hidden as something good. And that means that perhaps we are all guilty of idolatry. Because we accept things so easily, because they're often so, they seem so innocuous, so innocent. For us in the Bay Area in 2022, what are our cultural idols? They're abstract, these idols. Respect, influence, safety, comfort, certainty, pleasure, health. There are these abstract things that we don't, may not realize we're worshiping. And not many people will say that there are things wrong with these. If you have children, you're probably setting them up to value them. And very few people will be willing to tell you that you shouldn't be doing that. Because we're so used to it. We're so used to a certain lifestyle. We're so used to certain mindsets. These are our cultural idols. And our descent into them, into making these idols our own, begins with us doing things that we do every day. If you are on Instagram or Facebook or, I don't know if anyone uses TikTok, uh, I think that's something for young kids, but people, they post pictures of their vacation spots or their fancy restaurants or their outfits or their sneakers or their family pictures where everyone looks happy. And we think in our heads, that's kind of nice. And we see that people post stuff like that all the time. And we think, I think that's how my life should be. Or idolatry might begin with the podcast that you listen to while you're working out. These podcasts that tell you that you can, you can handle the things that happen in your life. That you are enough. That you have enough in you to take care of your surroundings or of yourself. Or maybe it's the invitation to spend time with someone that you admire and respect. So that you can also become someone who is admirable. That someone, that someone who people respect. It might be the online forums or the subreddits that give you more information about your hobby than you could ever realistically absorb. It might be the conversations you have with your coworkers or, or your friends. The ones that make you assume that you should be living in a certain zip code. Or the conversations that make you assume that you should be driving a certain type of car. Or making a certain a t- amount of money. Or having a certain type of family situation. 
None of these things are wrong in themselves, but depending on how our hearts are oriented, these might be the first steps into idolizing something. These might be the first steps into making something other than God your God. It's slow, it's subtle. Look at verse 3 in chapter 13. God says, I'm testing you people. I'm testing you, Israelites. Do you really trust me? Do you really believe that I'm trustworthy? Do you really believe that I'm worth following? Do you really believe that I'm worth your loyalty and devotion? God says the reason why I'm exposing you to these things, the reason why I am allowing you to see these idols is because I want you to test yourself. Where does your loyalty lie? What do you really love? The descent into idolatry begins when you start forgetting that God is a good God. The Israelites, they're so prone to forget that God rescued them from slavery. And we so often forget that God has rescued us from certain death. Is that enough for you? That you've been rescued? Is it enough for you that the God of the universe has invited you into a relationship with him? Is that enough for you? Do we, even when we're unsatisfied with our lot in life, even when we do not want to be in the situation that we're in, even then, do we seek to follow God? Do we want that enough to turn away from things that promise peace of mind apart from God? So that's the descent into idolatry. How are the Israelites to deal with idolatry? This is our second point. Um, Like I mentioned, as we read through the text, there are some severe, harsh, uncomfortable things in the passage. And as you read it, perhaps you felt a bit uneasy. You might be wondering, uh, why do you have to talk about something so unpleasant? Um, If you listen to the skeptics of the Bible, they're always pointing out things that seem to not make sense. Um, This passage seems to not make sense. It doesn't, it's very jarring to our sensibilities. Look at verse 5 of chapter 13. Put to death the prophet or the dreamer of dreams. Kill that person who's trying to entice you to idols. Verse 6. It may not be a prophet or it may not be a dreamer of dreams. It might be your family, your brother, your son, your daughter, or the wife that you embrace, or your husband, or your friend. What do you do if this person is trying to entice you away from the Lord? Verse 9. You shall kill him. This is not what they would recite on Caleb. It's not family friendly. Not just you, but the hand of all the people. They are to take part in the killing of this person. Verse 12. If you hear in one of your cities that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us serve other gods, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword Devoting, destruction, devoting it to, to destruction, not just the people, but the cattle, 
everything in that city is to be wiped out. Verse 16, you shall gather the spoil. Don't keep any of it. Put it in the middle of the city and burn it. And Moses is telling these people, not only are you to not listen to the people that try to present their gods, their idols to you, you're to put them to death. This is so difficult to hear. And I kind of don't want to preach this, um, but we do expository preaching at this church and we go through every uh, verse, passage that we're looking at and we sometimes are forced to think about things that we don't want to think about. And here we have to think about the fact that God calls his people to put perhaps even their own family members to death. And why is it so severe? Why is it so harsh? We have to understand the seriousness of idolatry in order to answer that question. And it's because of this, that anything that takes up your mental and emotional energy, anything that distracts you from devotion to God, anything that tempts you to focus on something other than the Lord, these things can derail you completely. How many people do we know who once considered themselves committed followers of Christ, who perhaps now their spiritual lives may be non-existent? They may be dry and withered up. It didn't happen all at once. It happened little by little. There was curiosity about certain things that drew them away. And then there was a tolerance. And then there was an acceptance. And then there was a wholesale embrace of these things that became more important than God in their lives. Now notice that these verses speak in the context of community. Um, by now, we're all aware of the dangers of a single person getting sick. Um, sometime in 2019, someone in China got COVID, and now the whole world is dealing with it. And what that says is this, that human beings do not exist apart from other human beings. We all live in some type of community. We're all living lives that have effects on other people, there are consequences to the actions of anyone that go beyond just that one person. So this is why we see in verse 9 of chapter th- chapter 13, um, you put that person to death, and then afterwards, all the other people around you are also to, to contribute to the death of this idolater. Why is that? Verse 11 so that all of Israel would know how destructive idolatry is, so that there would be a good and godly fear of it. Uh, Moses says, All Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. It's for the good of the community that there is a death involved. And in the context of the church, we see the same principle in the book of Acts. Do you remember when the church first began, there were these couple, there was a couple Ananias and Sapphira, and they sold the land that they owned, and they gave a portion of the proceeds to the church. And they didn't, but they they told the leaders, "This is all of it." And they both conspired to lie against the leaders to the leaders. And what happened to them? They dropped dead in front of the entire church because they lied. And again, why is there such a severe punishment? 
It's so that God's people would know that God is holy and that God's people people are also to be holy. And in the church, there's to be a holy terror of what can happen when we do not give God our wholehearted worship. And this is why the Israelites are given these instructions. Because God is holy. The basis of the command is rooted in the character of God. You'll notice multiple times in today's passage, the Israelites are told to do this because God is this way. And fortunately for us, um, this is not something that we really practice. There will never be a public execution here at at IGC. Um, The New Testament gives us guidelines for interacting with false teachers and rebuking fellow believers in gracious and loving ways that that, um, that have elements of patience and love and care and gentleness. Thank God that that's true. And maybe one of these days we'll be able to look at these more more closely. But there is a principle that runs throughout Scripture, and it's this, that God's people are to be set apart. The community of God is to be set apart from the nations. We're to be, remain devoted to the one who rescued us. We're not to even entertain the thought that some other God or some other idol, that some other lifestyle or some other political preference or some other philosophy or school of thought is worth putting your trust into. This is not to say that there isn't value in learning from other people and their worldviews. We can do that respectfully. We can do that with love and appreciation for those who don't believe the same things that we do. But their opinions and their belief systems, if they do not contain Jesus as the ultimate Savior, as God himself, these cannot rescue you from futility and death. So there is a message for us in today's passage, and it's this. Be careful. Watch out for false teaching. Be vigilant against anything that may divert your affections from God. Understand that every single one of us is susceptible to idolatry. Um, you may have read in the news uh, just last week, Tonga, that there was a huge earthquake. And then um, here in the Bay Area, we, we, felt, we saw the effects of it when we got the tsunami warning um, last week. And uh, there, from what I've read, Tonga is almost completely devastated because um, they don't have a whole lot of communication with the outside world. Um, the, the nation is covered with, with um, I think, uh, volcanoes, ash. And um, there is, they, they do have one thing going for them, and it's this, that, that, that this small island nation is COVID-free. And, of course, um, you want to maintain that that status as a COVID-free nation. But also, um, other nations, when they heard about the plight of the Tongans, they, they started sending aid to this country. And here, uh, I saw in the news just a couple days ago, um, Tonga, they turned away a plane carrying disaster aid from Australia. I'm reading from a, a Reuters news article. Um, they turned away a plane carrying disaster aid from Australia after someone on board tested positive for the virus. The Tongans saw, they realized that the plane 
contained someone that tested positive for the virus. The plane was forced to reverse course mid-flight on Thursday due to a positive COVID case on board the aircraft that was headed for the Pacific nation in the aftermath of Saturday's volcanic eruption and tsunami, which devastated the country. Uh, the Tongan officials understand this principle that one small thing could mess everything up in the nation. They do not want COVID in their nation and they will go to such extremes as to turn away aid that they desperately need because someone on that plane might infect the Tongans with COVID. The Tongan officials want to protect their people. And so it is with the Israelites. God wants to protect his people. God is serious about idolatry. And this is why there is such harshness in the passage. Put to death the idolater. Put to death the one who tries to entice you to worship something other than God. Our third point, the defeat of idolatry. So in order for us to defeat idolatry in our lives, we need to understand why we're drawn to idols in order to to defeat them. So what lies underneath our love of idols? It doesn't start inside of us. For example, if you if you care about cars, or if you care about football, or if you care about your image or reputation or fill in the blank, whatever it is that you care about, it's not because those things are super awesome. They're so great that you have to go toward them. They're so great that you have to have them. It's not because idols are so fantastic. The reason why we're drawn to idols is because there's something in us that's missing. In every single one of us, us is a vacuum. Our hearts are a black hole looking for things to fill them. And to quote St. Augustine, he says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We have restless hearts and we're always looking for things to give us peace of mind. We're always looking for things to fill this vacuum in our hearts. And the reason we're so drawn to people or things or experiences, the reason we fret about the opinion of others, the reason why we're anxious about the future is because we do not put our hope and trust in the Lord who rescues us. This is the reason we want idols. This is the reason why we're so so focused on things that will distract us, things that will entertain us. So it begins with this knowledge of ourselves, that there is a vacuum in our lives. And then you'll notice at the heart of the commands, as we look at the passage multiple times, the reason why the Israelites are called to obey God, the reason why they're called to turn away from idols, is for the sake of God's honor and for the good of the people of God. It's in response to God's provision. And this is what we're, we should be hearing, that you have experienced the goodness of God. If you have experienced the goodness of God, you must turn away from idols. If you've experienced the goodness of God through the love of Jesus, that means that you have a new identity. There are two um, passages I want to point out in the New Testament that talk about idolatry. First John 5.21, he writes this, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Listen to that word, dear children. He's speaking to those who are children of God. 
And then in 1 Corinthians 10, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. If you are a child of God, if you are beloved, hold on to these things. This is your basis. This is how you can fight idolatry. This is how you can defeat idolatry. Remember that you are these things. The imperative is rooted in the indicative. Because you are a child, because you are beloved, therefore you can do these things. The only way we can we can permanently banish idolatry is through a relationship with our Heavenly Father. This is the only way that you'll defeat idolatry in your life. I'm going to point you to verse chapter 12 again, and I'm going to read um, a passage that I started out with. And it says this, Take care that you do not be ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before your gods, before you. And that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? That I may also do the same. And then verse 31, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Two things in this passage, and I'll, I'll end with this. The Israelites may be asking, How do they serve their gods? How am I to give myself to this other God? And Moses points out this, that some of these idolaters even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Some of them even kill their children as a sacrifice to their God. And I think this is where we see the gospel. All the other gods, all the other idols of the nations... All the idols of the Bay Area in this time will shrivel you up if you worship them. They will dehumanize you. They will cause you anxiety. They will take and take and take from us. Like these idols that demand that you serve them. These idols that demand that you even give your own life to them. Other gods demand that you serve them. But what about the God of Israel? What about the God of Jacob, which we read about in the call to worship, and which we'll, who will sing about in the song of response? Yahweh serves his people. There's this truth, which is this, that Jesus is the son who was burned in our place. He paid the price for our idolatry. And I love the song that Dan led us in, um, Jesus Messiah. It's based on this verse in first, in second Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus identified with the sin of his people. Jesus became sin on the cross and Jesus was destroyed. Jesus was put into the fire of God's judgment. That means that your God has rescued you. Not just from sin and idolatry, but also from the love of sin and idolatry. You do not need to serve these other idols Your God has served you by giving you his son. 
And therefore, if that's true, then you can turn around and you can say, God, you are worth my devotion. You are worth my loyalty. You are worth all of me. God, you can have every single bit of my life. None of it will be given to idols. None of it will be given to things that are worthless. None of these things will be given my attention and time and energy and and money because you are worthy of it all and you've shown me that you're worthy. You love me so much. You promise me everything. I have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. And if I can love that, if my devotion, if my eyes are set on that, then they don't have to be turned to idols. So I just see, worship Jesus. This is the antidote, antidote to idolatry. Turn your eyes on Jesus. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our eyes to another. Let us not lift our heart. Let us not lift our soul to another. Because no other is worth who we are. Will you pray with me? Father God, we um, recognize that uh, we are idolaters. Like Luther said, our hearts are idol factories. Or maybe that was Calvin. Uh, whoever it was, it's true. That we pump out idols from our hearts because we're always looking for something to worship. But none of these things are worthy of our worship. Only you, Jesus. Only you. So God, we pray that you would turn our, our, our hearts, our souls, our minds, our love, our affection onto Jesus. And may it be true for all of our lives that he is the one that we worship, no other. We pray this in his name. Amen.